Good morning. Glad to see all of you all here in the house of the Lord this morning. Hope the summer is treating you well so far. We're um, progressing through a series on the book of Psalms uh, during the summer months. And um, today I'd like to look at Psalm 3, which we read already uh, during the service. So maybe we'll just say a word of prayer before we start. Lord Jesus, we thank you, O God, for your precious word given to us. And as we look at Psalm 3, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've titled this message, When Life Takes a Turn for the Worse. And I think probably all of us have gone through situations in our life where we're coasting, things are well, uh, things are pretty upbeat in our life, and all of a sudden, some sort of tragedy, some sort of catastrophe, some great thing happens that really throws a big monkey wrench into our plans. Maybe you're in a situation like that today. Maybe uh, everything is going really well. Your spouse is encouraged. Your job is excellent. Your kids are doing fantastic. Um, Everything seems to be coasting pretty well for you. And then all of a sudden, maybe a sickness comes in the family, a a loss of a job, a child runs away from home, a, a huge problem in the family. Maybe your spouse wants a divorce or you get robbed or a car accident or or something great, a good friend betrays you, your boss deceives you, something like that. A, a tragedy happens, a huge event, a trial, a difficulty happens in your life, and now life has taken a turn for the worse. And these kind of situations have a way of stopping us in our tracks, re-examining our lives and re-evaluating things in our lives. Uh, there's a man by the name of Bob Sorge, uh, who's a who is a pastor and a worship leader at his church. And he faced a terrible sickness where he lost his voice or the use of his voice fully. He could only speak for about one hour a day and that very painfully. He could do that. And he came to a theological crisis in his life. And he asked God, God, how could I be serving you? How could I be loving you? How could I be following you? How could I be doing your will and take a hit like this in my life? And he questioned God to ask him, God, what does a worship leader do who can't sing? Or a pastor do that can't speak? And David as well in this psalm was in a pretty terrible situation. He was anointed to be king over Israel. He had amazing victories as a shepherd boy. Uh, One of the most famous stories in the Bible is David and Goliath, portrayed in many uh, different ways in the world as well. This little guy beating this big, you know, tall, huge guy. David was known as the, the sweet psalmist of Israel, finally becoming king after the death of Saul, enjoying a great reign in Israel as well. Even till today, he's probably considered the most beloved king of Israel, to the point that even Jesus says, the Word of God says that Jesus will sit on the throne of David, not naming any other kings like Solomon or, or, or anything else, but he will sit on the throne of, of David. And so all of these amazing things were happening. It was the glory, the beginning of the glory days of Israel, when David started to reign and riches started to come in, and Israel was exalted above the other nations, and everyone was looking to Israel. And then all of a sudden, when everything was going really well for David, all of a sudden, life took a turn for the worse in David's life. 
and one of his own sons, his name is Absalom. Ironically, that means father of peace. But Absalom, his own son, rebelled against David and took the kingdom away from him. This is the setting of Psalm 3. If you, if, if you have your Bibles open and if you're looking in Psalm 3, at the top, right before the psalm, it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So if you can put yourself in, this, in, the, in, in David's shoes in this context, David was fleeing Jerusalem. He was running away from Absalom, who had taken over an uprising, a rebellion. And as he was leaving, people were cursing him. People were throwing stones at him. Even the Ark of the Covenant, the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant to David while he was running away. And David said, no, send back the Ark, which represents the presence of God. He said, no, send back the Ark to Jerusalem. But most of all, the heartbreak of his own son turning against him. And in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 30, it says, But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, and with his head covered. This is no way for a king of Israel to act. Or no way of a king of, a king of Israel to be treated. It was such a terrible day for David. He was the king. He, this was the glory days of Israel. Such prosperity coming to the nation. But here it says he was going up the Mount of Olives. And he was weeping as he went. He was barefoot. He didn't have shoes on. He was a, a king not to have shoes on. He was barefoot. And his head was covered. This is no way for a king to be treated. A king that had won great victories for Israel. A king that had led Israel into such a time of of prosperity. But in this situation, this is the context of when David wrote this psalm. And if you can just think of it, put yourself in David's shoes, or maybe David's socks, because he didn't have any shoes on. But he was probably barefoot, there's no socks either. Put yourself in his situation. David, going up the Mount of Olives... Everything had just crumbled. His whole kingdom, his whole understanding, everything had crumbled in front of him. Everything was just going from bad to worse. And he's going there with nothing and he's going up this mountain. And as he's going up this mountain, maybe these words to this song are ringing in his mind. The words to this song are coming up in his mind. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me. Many there be that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. But thou, O Lord, Art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Can you picture David as he's ascending this mountain and singing this song to the Lord? As as these words are coming to him as he pens this beautiful psalm. So let's examine this psalm. I just want to go verse by verse. There's only eight verses in this psalm. So I just want to go very quickly verse by verse through this psalm just to see Three things in these verses. Number one, see David's situation and how he reacted to this. Number two, in a sense, this is 
sort of pointing to Christ. And you can see through this psalm, in a messianic way, some of the sufferings that Jesus went through on Calvary in dying for us and giving up his life for the redemption of mankind. And three, put yourself in this situation. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe there's some sort of sickness. Maybe there's some sort of pain. Maybe there's a trouble, a suffering. There's something going on in your life. Put yourself in that, in that situation. So the first thing, Psalm 3 and verse 1, it says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. There was more people that were joining Absalom in this rebellion. They were increasing against David. It wasn't just Absalom, but there were people that were very close to David that were joining with Absalom and betraying David. There was a man by the name of Ahithophel. He was one of David's best and closest counselors. And he decided to leave David and stay with Absalom. The betrayal that David would have felt, not just from his own son, but all these people, these foes that are rising up against him, even his own counselor. And in Jesus' life, it was the same thing. There were so many people rising up against Jesus. The the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so many people were, were seeking to capture him in his words. And finally to betray him. And the person that finally betrayed him was who? His own very close friend, his disciple. One of the 12 that he had chosen, Judas, was there to betray him. And aside from this, all the powers of darkness that were converging there on Calvary against Christ, against the King of Kings, against the Lord of Lords, to crucify him. Have you ever felt like this? It seems like bad things are increasing. Seems like people are, are betraying you. Life is going from bad to worse, taking a turn for the worse. Seems like there's so many other people saying, yeah, yeah, he did that. Oh, yeah, yeah, she did that. Oh, yes. They're, they're a terrible person. They're a bad person. They said this. They said that. And so much gossip is going on. And the gossip is increasing and increasing and increasing. And, and the foes are, are, are rising up. Psalm 18 verse 17 says, He rescued me from my strong enemy. There's hope in God. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Psalm 61 says, For you have been a refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Dear people of God, maybe there are people that are rising up against you. Maybe there are enemies that are coming against you. I don't know what your particular situation is. But Psalm 106 and verse 10 says, So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Verse 2, it says, Psalm 3 and verse 2, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. We'll come to the Selah in a moment. But here it says, there, there people are saying, it's not just that these foes are increasing. It's not just that these people are rising up against David. But now they're saying, there's no help for David. There's no salvation for David. Look, David was king. Now he's kicked out. Absalom is king. There's no hope for David. Others had seen how God fought for David. Others had seen David fight against Goliath. David fight against the Philistines. Others had seen, they had sung about how David had slain his tens of thousands. People had sung about David's great victories. But now their tune had changed. Now they're saying, of David, there is no salvation for David. There's no hope for him. There was a man in, in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and 16. You actually find the context of this psalm. You can read it later on. We won't take time to look at those verses. But in chapter 16, it talks about a guy named Shimei who was, um, who was uh, from the family of Saul, actually. And as David was coming up, 
And fleeing Jerusalem, he came to curse David. And he came to say, look, David, all these terrible things that you did now, and because, because Saul should have been king and you took over and unlawfully, all of the blood is coming back upon you. And they were saying, no, 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 there's no salvation for David. That's it. David was good at one point. David did lead us at one point. David did have the victory at one point. David was blessed at one point, but now, no more salvation. And maybe the thought would have troubled David. Maybe the thought would have troubled David. Has God forsaken me? What happened to the promises of God? God anointed me to be king. God spoke to me so many beautiful things about my reign. So what's happened now? Am I really forsaken? Why would God bring me to the pinnacle of the reign of Israel? Why would God bring me to the throne of Israel to be a prosperous nation, to lead and be, and be, and be greater than other nations? Why would God bring me to all the way to such a point as this, just to let me fall down again? And maybe that thought was going in his mind. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation. There's no help. That's what people are saying. You know, for Jesus as well, when he was hanging on the cross, what did the people say? He said, if he's the Christ, let him come down from the cross. If he's really who he says he is, let him come down. And they mocked him. They ridiculed him. And even worse for Jesus, the feeling as he hung on the cross and he cried out to God and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That feeling of abandonment and rejection that Jesus must have felt at that time. Dear people of God, do you feel like that today? Do you feel like God has forsaken you? Do you feel like what's happening with the promises of God? God blessed me in so many ways. He he gave me a nice family and children and a good job and a car and a house and all these things. And things are getting better and better and better. God, why did you allow all of these things to happen to me? Just to take it all away in a moment. God, why did you bless me so much? Just to let me go through such a terrible trial. Do you feel like that today? Psalm 13 verse 5 says, But I have trusted in your salvation. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 18 verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. Maybe you feel like there's no hope. Like there's no salvation. I want to encourage you today. To see what David went through. To see what Jesus went through. And know that there is hope in God. Now at the end of this verse it says, Selah. Now this word Selah is actually a musical term, but in reading it could be interpreted as a pause. Meditate. Ponder. So you read the first two verses, and then you pause. Meditate on it. Ponder it. Think about it. In a musical term, it actually means a pause or a rest, and also that it means to go to the next level or next note or take it up a note. So as you're singing, you sing it in one key, and then you come to Selah. Okay, verse 1 and 2 was sung in one key. Now you get to verse 3, and you're supposed to go up a note. You're supposed to go up a key. It's supposed to be, this is getting better. This is not the end of the story. Hello, there's something good to come. We're going to go up a key. I'm sure, you know, Keisha, we've done this a lot of times here, right? You're singing a song, you go up a key, and then what do you feel? Oh, yeah, 
Something good is happening, right? Something good's about to happen. Oh, I see, I feel some vibrancy here. Something exciting is happening. We're going up a key. This word seal actually occurs three times in this small little psalm. Something good is happening. Something good's about to happen. And so there's a pause, there's a rest, right? When you're singing this, pause. But now we're going to go up a key. We're going to get more lively. We're going to get more powerful. We're going to get more energetic. We're going to get more vibrant. Because God's not done yet. The story's not finished yet. And so you get to the next verse. Psalm 3 and verse 3. But you, O Lord, remember, all this is going through David's mind. God, have you forsaken me? They're telling me that you've forsaken me. They're telling me that there's no salvation for me. They're telling me that there's no hope for me. They're, they're cursing me. They're doing all these things, and I see it with my own eyes. God, look at where I am, barefooted, covered, and I'm walking up this mountain, and Absalom is king in Jerusalem. But you, O Lord, are the shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Now, you say shield, you can say, well, God, how come you didn't shield David from this whole thing from happening in the first place? God, if you're a shield, why didn't you protect David from, ha- from this happening right from the beginning? That's a question you got to ask the Lord when you get to heaven. But maybe it could be because God wanted to do something more wonderful in David's life. That God wanted David to see him as the deliverer. And as the Savior, in an even more powerful way than what he had experienced before. Because unless we go through bondage, we would never know God as our deliverer. And unless we fail in sin, we would never know God as our Savior. And unless we go through a sickness, we would never know God as our healer. And so here, David says, in confidence, But you, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. David's adoration was not just in good times, but also in very difficult and hard times. The shield can speak about protection. There was a battle that was going to ensue because David was going to have to come and fight against Absalom. And David knew that God would be his shield. God would be his protection. There's no time to talk about how many times in the book of Psalms we read this, this, this word, shield, mentioned in the book of Psalms. It says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves me. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. In Psalm 18. Psalm 27, verse 7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Psalm 33, verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He's a protection for us. Psalm 84, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He is our protection. Then it says here, the Lord was his glory. Not only was God a shield about me, he says, he says, my glory. David had lost all the, the, the earthly glory. David had lost all the glory of his kingdom, all the glory of his kingship, all the, the glory, all the honor of his kingdom. He had lost all of those things, all the worldly fame that David had 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 all crumbled. But one thing David knew, that even if all of the things the world could offer, all of the glory that came with being king over Israel, even if all of that was taken away, still David had one glory which surpassed every other glory, which was way better than every other glory, which is something that everyone would want. And and David said, you are my glory. I could lose everything else. But if I have you, that's my true glory. The, The glory of God. The majesty of his character, of his love, of his compassion, of his mercy, of his patience, of his truth. 
I think here you can see a little bit of David's hope that things were going to turn around. That even in the times of trial, there was some hope there when he had his eyes on the glory of God, knowing that one day, God, you are going to restore glory to Israel. One day you're going to restore glory to the throne of Israel again. Psalm 24 says, Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord that's mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors. And the King of glory shall come in. And the last part of this verse here in verse 3 says, He is the lifter of my head. You know, when something shameful and when something bad happens, what do people do sometimes? They hang their head. Oh, woe is me. Look at the situation that I'm in. They can't look up to see people. They can't lift up their head because it's such a burden. But here David says, you are the lifter of my head. See the hope that David had. Uh, David was walking up that mountain, maybe just downcast, bent over, barefooted. But he had a hope. He knew as he was in this situation, he says, God, I still know, even though all these things happened to me, I know that you are the lifter. Of my head, there was going to be a restoration of dignity. He saw the protection of God. He saw the honor and glory of God. And he had a hope in that restoration. And in Jesus as well, we know that Jesus, when he died on Calvary, he went through such terrible shame. He hung there naked on the cross. He was beaten and he was bruised and he bled. And he died there on, Cal- on, on, on Calvary in, in such a shameful way. But what does the word of God say? about his resurrection, that God the Father has raised him above every other heaven to the very highest place, and that his name, the name of Jesus, is higher than every other name, so much so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There was a time, there will be a time of exaltation. Psalm 3 and verse 4, he says here, Um, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. And then again, Selah. There's there's a pause there. There's, okay, we're going to get to a higher note now. Here David cries to the Lord, and he says the Lord answered him. When life takes a turn for the worse, dear people of God, what do we do? Many times we just go and we, we try to figure things out ourselves, and many times we don't even go to God. We don't even cry out to God. Many times God is, is on the sidelines. But the word of God says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. God delights to hear us in prayer. God delights when we cry out to him. And here there's another Selah, which is pause and think. In that moment of tragedy, in that moment of trial, in that moment of pain, in that moment of sadness, in that moment of sickness, in that moment of betrayal, in that moment of problem, stop. Ponder and cry out to God. Throughout the Psalms, we read about when when David and others cried out to God in their distress. And Jesus as well on Calvary, what did he do? When he was hanging on the cross, he cried out to the Father at the end. He says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He still had confidence in God. David had confidence in God even though he had gone through this terrible experience from the height of kingship in Israel down to this very low place of his own son rebelling and turning away from him. Still David had confidence in God to say, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You, O Lord, are the glory and the lifter of my head. 
I cried to the Lord, and he heard me, and he, and he answered me from his holy hill. In the Psalms, we read so many times where the psalmist says, In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and God helped me and heard my voice. Psalm 30 and verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Psalm 34 verse 6, This poor man cried unto God, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Dear people of God, Prayer is such a beautiful thing that God has given to us where we can communicate with God, where we can just let all of our emotions out. In this series of Psalms, we're trying to see some of the emotions that go through our heart. And as we cry out to God, we can just let all of our raw emotions come out to God. God, this is where I am. This is the place that I'm at. Lord, help me. Lord, deliver me. Lord, satisfy me. Lord, show me your salvation. Then we get to verse 5. He says, I lay down. And slept. I awoke again for the Lord sustained me. How many know that when you go through a difficult time, one of the first things that you lose is sleep. You go through sleepless nights, right? You, 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 go, to, you go to your bed and you put your, bed on, you put your head on the pillow and you can't fall asleep. But here in the midst of such trouble and such anxiety for David, such uncertainty for the future for David, David was able to have a good night's sleep. I laid down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. Now, this wasn't in his nice, comfy, luxurious bed in the palace. This wasn't even in his own bed. But David was able to sleep because of his confidence in God. I know, God, you are going to sustain me. You know, there's an interesting story in Acts chapter 12 about Peter. The context is that James, one of the other apostles, were, had been beheaded, had been killed. Peter was arrested and thrown into prison. The, the whole church was worrying what's going to happen. They were having a prayer meeting for, for Peter, probably an all-night prayer meeting for Peter. And what was Peter doing? He was sleeping in prison. The Lord sent an angel to come and take Peter out of the prison, but the angel first had to wake Peter up and say, Peter, get up, before he could rescue him out of the prison. And so we see how in the midst of such turmoil and agony, Peter was just was waiting for his, his death sentence, basically. And in the prison, in the most uncomfortable place, you, know, you don't have this nice, cushy, you know, cotton pillow or whatever it might be, and you don't have a nice mattress or anything. In that place, Peter was sleeping, I believe, because of his confidence in God, his rest in God. Psalm 4 and verse 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, makes me to dwell in safety. Psalm 121, a beautiful verse, talks about how, how God watches over us, that God allows us to sleep when he himself does not sleep. He says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. God is diligent to watch over us. While we sleep, he is watching over us. While we sleep, he is sustaining us. But that comes from such a confidence in God. That God, even though everything around me is crumbling, I'm still trusting in you. Even though everything is going bad, I'm still trusting in you. For for Christ as well, hanging there on Calvary, about to die, he had confidence in God because he prophesied about it even before he died on Calvary. He said, the third day, I'm going to rise again. There's such confidence in Christ. There's such confidence that he knew God was going to raise him again. He knew that there would be a resurrection. 
that death wasn't the end for him. Dear people of God, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. Psalm 3 and verse 6, it says here, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Now remember, in contrast to verse 1, in verse 1 it says, O Lord, many are my foes. Now down to verse 6, he says, I'm not going to be afraid of many thousands. He's gone from many to now many thousands. David realizes that before things get better, things are going to get worse. And sometimes that happens in our lives. Before things get better, sometimes things get, get worse. Because David's gone now. It's not just many people that are rising up against me. He says, now I'm not afraid of many thousands of people now that are setting themselves against me. He realizes that this rebellion is getting more and more and more. That people are going to be, now that they know that David's gone out of Jerusalem, there's going to be more people joining with Absalom. And there are times in our life that this will happen. And we, uh, Pastor Kevin talked a little bit about it last week, uh, how the, the good that we do, sometimes we don't see the end result of that, but yet we see the wicked prospering. But then you step into the house of God, and you see things in the light of eternity, and then things become clear. For the disciples of Jesus, it was the same sort of story. It, things got worse for them. You know, they were living in a time during the three years and three and a half years that Jesus was ministering, they were living in a time of miracles and healings. Jesus multiplying food. Wouldn't you like that? Just multiplying food for people to eat. Thousands of people flocking to hear Jesus preach and teach and to see him do healings and miracles. And everyone probably wanted to be in that inner circle of Jesus, those those 12 disciples. But only those 12 had that opportunity. But then now Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's dying there and it seems like they've wasted the last three years. Now what's going to happen? What happened to the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about? What happened to this establishment of God's rule on this earth that Jesus talked about? And so the disciples seeing their, their, their Lord and their, and their leader dying on the cross must have been thinking, oh, I've wasted these last three years. Now our Savior is dead. Everyone's laughing at us. It seems like they have the victory. He couldn't even save himself. Things got really bad for the disciples before things got better for the disciples. And dear people of God, maybe you're in a situation like that today where things seem bad, and it might seem like it's getting even worse. But Psalm 23 and verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David said here, I won't be afraid, even if many thousands of people are around about me. Psalm 27 verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Don't let fear dominate our lives, but let confidence and trust in God resound in our lives so that we can know that God is for us. And although things seem like they're crumbling, God is still on our side. Verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. This is beautiful because David could say that he could go to sleep. And as he was going to sleep here, he's saying, arise, O Lord. As David rested, as David knew that God was sustaining him, he knew God is arising to defeat his enemies. 
In this particular case, it was probably maybe speaking about, about Absalom and these other people that had spoken evil of David before this whole rebellion. The way this whole rebellion started was that Absalom was using his speech, his words, to convince the people of Israel, follow me. He spoke very cunningly. He spoke very deceptively and caused Israel to turn away from David and turn towards him. And so here David is saying, God is going to have the victory. God is going to smite my enemies on their cheek. We have to understand and know that God is there to deliver us. Verse 8, the last verse here, it says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. And again, Selah. So this is, this is going to happen. More, like if you were to sing this song a couple of times, right? You sing verse 1 and 2, and then you raise the key. You, you sing verse 3 and 4, and then you raise the key. You sing verse 5 to 8, and then you raise the key, and then you go back to verse 1. But now you're already so much higher. And then you do the same process over again. You sing verse 1 and 2, and then you raise the key. And then you sing verse 3 and 4. I don't know how long that's going to take, you know? It's just going to keep going higher and higher. But it's to say that things are getting better, that there is hope, that there's deliverance, that God is salvation. It says here, salvation belongs to the Lord. He concludes the psalm by reflecting on the source of salvation, on the source of deliverance, on the source of victory, and that is God. We have to come to that place to understand the Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. In Psalm 42, verse 5, it says, I love this verse, it says here, Why are you cast down, O my soul? The psalmist is speaking to his own soul. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you discouraged? Why why is your head hanging low? And he says here, he says, Hope in God, for I I shall again praise him. My salvation. My salvation. There is salvation in God. There is Hope in God. There's so many other verses, and there's no time to, to, to mention all these beautiful verses in the Psalms that talk about the Lord being our salvation. And that is the blessing that comes upon the people of God. David was in this terrible place of rejection. But David saw the salvation of God. And when Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, what did he do? He purchased salvation for us. He purchased redemption for us. In that terrible place of rejection for David, he still displayed confidence in God. You know, there's an interesting verse of rejection in Psalm 118 and verse 22 and verse 23. This is actually talking about Jesus' rejection, how he was rejected by the people. It says here, the stone, speaking of Jesus, that the builders rejected has become the... Cornerstone. We sing a song called Cornerstone that talks about how Jesus is that foundation stone where the city of God or the, the temple of God is being built up on. Our lives are being built upon that chief cornerstone. But what happened? It was the stone that was first rejected. David went through a terrible rejection from his own son. Jesus went through a rejection by his own people, but then became the cornerstone. And then what does it say? This is the my enemy's doing, you know, he planned that so well. No. What does it say? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous 
in our eyes. You know, sometimes things don't make sense. But when we see things through the lens of the Lord, when we see things through the way that God is seeing things, we might not be able to see all of it right now. We might not be able to see the whole picture right now. But here, the psalmist says, the stone which the builders rejected, it became the cornerstone. It took the place of honor. It took the place of glory. It took the place where everyone is going to be built upon him. And this is God's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. You know, there's a, there's a little song, and it's an old Christian song that some of you might know. It's called, This is the Day that the Lord has Made. We will rejoice. How many know that song? Does anyone, yeah, I think. Yeah, a lot of you know, right? This is the day, this is the day that the... What day is that? What, what, what day is that that we like to sing? It sounds so nice. Oh, it makes me feel good. I'm rejoicing. Oh, this is the day God has made. I like that. What is that actually talking about? The next verse here says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. What day was that? Oh, hold on. The verse before that talked about what day? The day that Jesus, the stone, was rejected and became the cornerstone of the temple of God. The day that Jesus purchased redemption for mankind. And people saw and said, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. So therefore, we're going to sing, this is the day that the Lord has made. We are going to rejoice in that day of rejection. When the plan of God was seen in its fullness, in its entirety. To say, yes, Jesus faced such a rejection. Jesus was despised. And he hung on the cross in such shame. But he became that chief cornerstone. The temple, the stone where the temple is going to be built. Where our lives are built upon him. And we know that he is that rock. The stone which the builders reject has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. So now what are we going to do? Rejoice. So next time you sing that song, this is the day, maybe not, you know, when you get a promotion at work and say, this is the day, right? But maybe when you go through a rejection, maybe when you go through a problem, maybe when you go through a suffering, maybe when you go through a a tragedy in your life, maybe when your life takes a turn for the worse, as we see throughout this psalm how David went through such difficulty and problems, but yet, praise God in that. And I'm, I'm not saying it's easy. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to diminish the hardness of this. I'm not trying to diminish the seriousness of this. I'm not trying to diminish how difficult this is. But maybe in that time when your life takes a turn for the worse, maybe then we can sing, This is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Because maybe our minds and our eyes can't comprehend what God is doing. But maybe there's something bigger that God is working on in our lives. And we need to surrender to him. It's not easy. I'm going to close just with a story here of this lady. Her name is Helen Rosevier. Not sure how many of you have heard of her or seen her before. But she was an elderly missionary. Well, she was young when she went to the Congo. And um, she told her story at, at various times. Her life story is such an amazing story. They actually made it into a movie in 1989 called Mama Luca Comes Home. And in this story, she was in the Congo. And in the Congo, there was a civil war that was going on at that time. Now, as a young girl, she had surrendered her life to serve God. She's gone as a, from England as a missionary to the Congo, surrendered her life to do the will of God. There's no easy way for me to tell you this story, so I'm just going to read it to you from her own words. 
that at a time in her life during this, this war that was going on, and she was a missionary in Congo, she says, during the Simba uprising in Congo, I was raped twice. Government soldiers came to my bungalow, ransacked it, then grabbed me, and, was, and I was beaten, savagely kicked, losing my back teeth through the boot of the rebel soldier. They broke my glasses so I could not see to protect myself from the next blow. Then one at a time, two army officers took me to my own bedroom and raped me. They dragged me out into a clearing, tied me to a tree, and stood around laughing. And while I was there beaten, humiliated, and violated, someone brought out the only existing handwritten manuscript I had been writing over an 11-year period about God's work in the Congo. They put it, in, put it on the ground in front of me and burned it. I asked myself, was it worth it? 11 years of my life poured out in selfless sacrifice for the African people, and now this. If you were in that situation, I think any of us in that situation would probably question and wonder, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did my life take such a turn for the worse? I was serving you, God, on the mission field. I, I sacrificed so much. I was pouring my life out for your service for these people to bring the gospel to their hearts. God, where were you at that time to protect me? And she says, the minute I expressed that, God's Holy Spirit settled over that terrible scene and he began to speak to me. My daughter, the question is not, is it worth it? The question is, am I worthy? Am I the Lord Jesus who gave, you, who gave his life for you worthy for you to make this kind of sacrifice? And God broke my heart. I looked up and I said, Lord Jesus, yes, it is worth it, for you are worthy. When you ask the right question, you always know that he is absolutely worthy of anything you can give him or do for him. She ended up going back to England, but then later returned to the Congo to serve the people again. Dear people of God, I don't know what difficult situation you're in today. I don't know how maybe your life has turned for the worse today. But one thing we can say, but you, O oh Lord, are the shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. There is hope in God. There is help in God. And in such terrible circumstances of our life, I'm not saying it's easy, I'm not saying it will happen even overnight. But in her situation, the Spirit of God came upon her and comforted her. I don't have time to read some of the other things. You can, you can look her up. Um, there's so many beautiful things that she's written and how the comfort of God came upon her, how she was strengthened by the Lord. And so many things that are just totally supernatural. So many things that humanly would, we would say impossible for her to say that. But through God's Holy Spirit and God's help, such an amazing woman she was. And that testimony speaks to multitudes. Shall we sing to the Lord? <laughs>